When you buy a 40-acre bean field and you love trees, there's only one thing you can do. Get the planting. So I ordered 300 seedlings, I believe, from the nursery at MDC, the George White Nursery. Really? And I know that those work. I I planted them before, but it's going to be a while before they're of any size. But one of the best nurseries I've ever heard of, let alone seen, is Forest Keeling. And Forest Keeling has been a huge supporter of conservation in Missouri for a long time. Uh, Wayne Lovelace has been a, a CFM regular for long before I was ever around CFM. And his daughter, Kim Hainsfurther, has also just picked that baton up and run with it. Their uh, Forest Keeling supports every conference I go to, every uh, organization I know of in Missouri that's dealing with conservation. Uh, I just can't say enough about how great Forest Keeling is for the issues we care about. If I owned a business, I would aspire to be like them. So, you know, in the CFM auctions, they always have like 50 trees, their permaplot. Yeah. They've got this incredible root system that this podcast is so interesting, man, because they talk about basically engineering nature and how they clone trees and these, these root systems and why they'll grow faster and you'll get fruit sooner. So anyways, I'm, I'm determined to reforest a portion of my property. We're going to have a three acre lake, 15 to 20 acres of prairie, seven, eight acres of forest, and then agriculture. It's going to be a microcosm of everything on 40 acres. And I'm super excited to work with Kim and the team at Forest Keeling on my trees. So instead of just like going to her office and picking her brain, I caught up with her at the wetlands conference, which was a huge success down at Lake of the Ozarks. And basically spent an hour podcasting with her, asking all the questions I want to know about putting new trees onto a former agriculture field. She knows everything there is to know about the process, and I found it incredibly beneficial. So I hope other people find this interview beneficial as well if you're interested in in restoring some forest to your property or just planting a tree for Mother's Day in the backyard. I'm Brandon Butler. I'm Nathan Shags McLeod, and welcome to the Driftwood Outdoors podcast. If you've always dreamed of finding a special piece of outdoor recreation property in the Midwest, you don't need to look any further than Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. With hundreds of land listings available, Living the Dream Outdoor Properties has that special hunting, fishing, camping, or farming property you're looking for. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties isn't just for buyers. If you have a property to sell, Living the Dream makes the process super easy and brings to the table their huge following of prospective buyers. With the land market on fire right now, Living the Dream will bring you the offer your property deserves. When it came time for me to sell Driftwood Acres, there was no question I was going to work with Daryl Heinemann and his team at Living the Dream Properties. Their professionalism made the process a breeze and they brought me multiple offers in the first two weeks. After my personal experience with Living the Dream, I can tell all of you with confidence that this is the real estate firm you want to work with for any land deal. For more information or to contact Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, visit livingthedreamland.com. That's livingthedreamland.com. Turkey season is one of the most exciting times of the year. Nothing fires me up more than a gobble shattering the pre-dawn darkness. This year, I'll be chasing turkeys with a CZ Reaper Magnum. The CZ Reaper Magnum is built to slay turkeys. 
It's an over-under with three and a half inch chambers. The shorter 26 inch barrels make it more maneuverable in the woods or a blind. The included Picatinny style rail makes adding optics simple and it comes stock with QD swivels in the front and back for adding a sling. Like all the firearms from CZUSA, which now includes the entire Colt line, the Reaper not only functions properly, it looks great doing so. The polymer stocks are completely clad in camouflage, upping my turkey slaying stealth game even more. For more information about the CZ Reaper Magnum and all the fine firearms from CZUSA, visit czusa.com. That's czusa.com. Chances are you know how important hunting is to conservation, and you likely recognize the incredible hunting heritage we have in America. What you may not consider, though, is how important hunting is to our economy. That's why we are proud to partner with Hunting Works for Missouri to promote the strong economic partnership between the hunting and shooting communities and the economy of Missouri. Hunting Works for Missouri sheds light on the economic impact hunting has on our economy. Since its inception in 2012, I've proudly served as a co-chair of Hunting Works from Missouri. Our membership consists of businesses representing a cross-section of the Missouri economy. These include sporting goods retailers, restaurants, hotels and resorts, gas stations and convenience stores, and of course, all the taxpayers of the state, hunters and non-hunters alike, who benefit from the license fees, taxes, and jobs the hunting and shooting industries provide. To learn more about Hunting Works for Missouri, which is a program of the National Shooting Sports Foundation, visit huntingworksformo.com. That's huntingworksformo.com. Big shout out and thanks to everyone who's taken a minute to review us online. We really appreciate it. If you haven't done it yet, we ask you to take 30 seconds and go do it today. Like, share, rate, subscribe. Let everyone know how much you love this podcast so we can keep doing it. And be sure to follow us on all the social media platforms, Driftwood Outdoors on Instagram and Facebook, and keep submitting those mystery bait bucket questions. You can email us, info at driftwoodoutdoors.com, or again, just find us on Instagram and Facebook. Hope you enjoy this new podcast. The Driftwood Outdoors Podcast with Brandon Butler and Nathan Shags McLeod. Now, I wasn't able to make it down to the conference, so this will be another one where Brandon does the bulk of the the interview, and I'm excited to, to listen to it because, I mean, I like trees, I like to breathe, and they definitely help with that. Um, you actually had a couple of stories you handed over with the, with the headline, Why Are Muskies the Fish? of 10,000 casts. In a new study from the University of Illinois, researchers try to get into the minds of muskie to learn personality traits to see what makes them more likely to strike. And it is pretty interesting, this article talking about how they're, they're, they're tough because they're sit and wait predators, which mean they'll just camp out under a log or at the bottom of the river until something comes right by. Then they'll burst out, take the prey. But then there's also more exploratory muskies that won't strike at all because they're just roaming around the lake trying to find shelter or get more comfortable. So if you're an angler going around just casting randomly, that won't necessarily mean you're going to catch a muskie. You got to get your lure perfectly in the face with the appropriate behavior and type and um, 
you might be glad to learn it's not your fault muskies are so hard to catch the research has deeper implications have you ever caught one no i haven't either man no how many casts are you in you think zero really unless i mean accidental i mean i've been out on lakes that had them but wasn't targeting them i mean i just saw chris nelson with tandem fly outfitters they caught that little one caught a little one crappie fishing which was exciting i think i've put in more than ten thousand casts i think i've put in ten thousand fly casts when i was up in ashland wisconsin for a event i fished like three days in a row trying to catch a muskie caught a bunch of northern pike but never caught a muskie Hmm. on on a fly rod or any rod for that matter i think that should be a resolution we've got a few places here in the state where we can go palm de terre is the big one everybody knows about there's a couple smaller ones uh fellows lake down by springfield and there's one up by kirksville the name's eluding me at the moment but there's a couple places we can go in missouri to try to catch a muskie why don't we do it? Why don't we make that a goal? Here and now, one of us shall catch a muskie in 2023. Well, you're in luck. I spent a bunch of money at an auction in Lynn buying old muskie lures, so I got a shit ton of them. So can I use a couple? <laughs> can I borrow some of your muskie lure shags? <laughs> well, we should go. I, I don't have any of the gear. I don't think I got a rod big enough to try to catch one or anything like that. Well, I mean, we don't, we don't know how to fish ourselves, according to Noah. We just... <laughs> We need a guide for this. That's a very good call. I I agree. We'll just call somebody and we'll use all their gear and have them put us on some fish. So if you're a musky guide out there, palm de terre, you're just a dude that knows how to catch them, give us a shout. Yeah, we'll put you on a podcast. We'll do a podcast just for you. Yep. I think that's a fair trade. And then we'll brag to know about how we got another guided fishing Mm -hmm. trip. Amen. Now there's a case of mad cow disease that's been discovered on a farm in the Netherlands. The infection was found in a dead cow in late January, and the infection is now being studied by experts to determine whether it's a so-called atypical or a classic type of mad cow disease. What's scary about this, man, is like you're hearing about one case that was discovered in the Netherlands, but we just discovered 86 more cases of CWD in Missouri. We tested, I think, 3,000 samples and 86 of them came back positive so that's the equivalency cwd in deer is the same as mad cow in cows um in humans it's called uh cruxfeld jacobs disease i believe is is the name something like that i can never pronounce it so i'll just agree with you so long story short why isn't cwd taken as seriously as mad cow i mean economics is the answer but if if the cattle are going to die from it and they're afraid of it going from cattle to people, which it has done historically, but we're still saying it's never jumped from deer to people, which is a good thing that we're still saying that, but it sure does make it more scary uh, to think that there's this much concern over a single case of mad cow halfway around the world, but we've got the equivalent running around in deer in a couple dozen counties in Missouri. Yeah, man, that sucks. Well, it's a little more serious than that. <laughs> you been hanging out with my teenagers? Yeah, bummer, dude. Bummer, dude. <laughs> bummer. All right, next story. I was too excited. I was already reading the next one because it's a crab feed fundraiser for the Golden State Salmon Association. What a great idea. Oh. All you can eat crab to benefit salmon? Yes, please. I, 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 I read it and I felt guilty because I was like, ah. 
they would lose money on me. It's only $85 yeah. for all you can eat. We've already um, missed it. Like it's already happened, but I'm just more excited about the idea on, can we bring it to Missouri? It just reminded me of when me and my buddies were in college and there was a Asian buffet that had all you could eat crab legs. And we would go in there empty the pan and the lady would just stand there and watch and no more crab legs were going into that pan until we left. It didn't matter if we sat there two hours, she wasn't putting more crab legs out. Well, the, uh, and the, I would have had, if I was at this fundraiser for the good of the salmon, for the good of the Pacific Northwest, Oh yeah, I would have had to force myself morally to get up and leave because otherwise I would have ate $200 worth of crab and the salmon would be worse off for them having this fundraiser. What's the, the China buffet we have here in town, they do every Saturday is all you can eat crab legs. 25 bucks. I yeah. haven't been yet. I haven't either. I um, keep, I said I was going to, and I just haven't made it up there yet. Mosier's has crab legs for nine ninety nine sometimes on sale. Really? So I've got uh, a freezer full. Well, just a thought for anyone wanting to put a fundraiser together, let's do some all you can eat crab yeah. and invite us to MC it. Yeah. We'll just sit there and eat all of it. Well, if you could have one kind of crab. Dungeness. Dungeness. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had stone crab claws? I, I have not. Uh-uh. Incredible. Incredible. I, I like it all. I like snow crab better than I like king crab. I like the volume of the king crab, but I like the, the sweetness of the snow crab. The dungeness that we had out in Oregon was really good. I like soft shell crabs too. Like if I get a sushi roll with soft shell crab in it, or just getting a soft shell crab. I haven't met any crab that I don't like. <laughs> I'm with you. Thankfully, I haven't had all the crabs, <laughs> but I haven't, I have never met a crab I didn't like. Oh man. So give us a quick introduction into your interview and this podcast. It was just really great to sit down with an expert in her field. I, I always enjoy that. I enjoy sitting down with somebody who just is really, really knowledgeable about a topic that I'm interested in. And right now I'm very interested in trees. I'm very excited, man. It took a while. It took a while to get this excited about my new property and getting ready to build. Uh, again, I talked to Eric Call. He's you know going to do my insulation because he heard me talking about it on the podcast. Which oh, nice. Neat. It's all starting to materialize in my mind. Like when I when I see the property now, I don't see it how it looks now. I see it how it's going to be. And there's some really cool things that are coming together. And the trees are going to be one of those. So I'm going to do a bunch of oaks. I'm going to have a pecan grove. Kind of reminds me of Lonesome Dove when Gus wanted to be buried in the grove along the creek when mm-hmm. him and Clara hung out. So I'm going to have a pecan grove because pecans are like a big thing in the Missouri River Valley in the kind of Brunswick, Glasgow area. And I'm going to do an apple orchard. And I asked him, I said, how many apple trees do you think I should have? And I was expecting her to say like 50 and she's like, ah, five would be enough. I was like, no, I want to do at least 30. And she's like, if you do 30, you're going to need to open a fruit stand on uh, the highway. And I was like, no, but I was part of helping my friends, the Rays, get started in their maple syruping business. Yep. And and then those became like their annual gifts to people. How, how cool would it be if five years from now, my apple orchard is mature enough to where I'm harvesting apples and I could make my own cider, get one of those apple cider things and some nice bottles and label it and you know, give away, you know, Baybell Farm apple cider. There so, you go, man. Yeah. All these little things like that are starting to come into my mind for this property and, and, uh, talking to Kim for an hour about all the trees and the ways I can, you know, benefit the wildlife and, and just enjoy my property more. It's got me happy. It's got me excited. So I hope you enjoy this interview.
As the proud new owner of a 40-acre square agriculture field where I'm going to be building my new home, reforesting a portion of that property is a top priority for me. Today's guest is the foremost authority that I could think of on planting trees from my network of friends and professional colleagues whose brain I want to pick about all the different projects I have before me. So she thought she was just coming on the podcast. What she's really doing is spilling the beans on my whole plan for putting trees back in my bean field. I'm Brandon Butler. And I am Kim Lovelace Hainsfurther with Forest Keeling Nursery in Ellsbury, Missouri. Welcome to the Driftwood Outdoors podcast. Thanks for having me. Kim, thank you very much for sitting down with me. Uh, I told you a little bit about what's going on. I just bought some property in Howard County where I'm going to be building my new homestead and it doesn't have nearly enough trees. But first of all, I want to say uh, shout out to Eric Call with Superior Insulation, who's a listener to the podcast and reached out to me and said, hey man, I hear you're building a new house. I have this company. I'd be happy to give you a bid. So I thought that was really neat and I sent him the plans and I'm, I'm waiting on the numbers from him. So the podcast is reaching people and hopefully uh, somebody who knows something about drywall reach out to me now. So, <laughs> last week I got my insulation guy. Now I'm looking for a drywall guy. But today we're talking to the tree lady. So Kim, uh, man, so much to unpack here. We met through the Conservation Federation of Missouri. You and your father and your whole company have been such a strong supporter of conservation in Missouri and surrounding states for so long. Uh, but I think we probably need to go back to the beginning, as we usually do, and, and tell us how Forest Keeling Nursery came to be. Well, it's uh, it's quite a story, and um, it just so happens that this is our 75th year um, in operation, and uh, so we're cel- we're celebrating that. And what I like to contemplate on is the foresight that uh, Hugh Stevenson, the founder, and my father, his protege, I, I, I look at back at the foresight of Hugh Stevenson, the founder, and my father, Wayne Lovelace, who was his protege, and the, the sustainable things they put in place when they first started the nursery. So 75 years later, we're still on the same land. Um, there was always a ethic of soil conservation and uh, soil health component to um, our nursery system. And uh, we evolved over the last 75 years from an ornamental grower to a native plant grower. And the native plants really came into, uh, into our program in the late 80s, early 90s. And um, we had a, a devastating freeze in 1991, and it wiped out um, the, the majority of our ornamental production. Dad and Hugh looked around, and what they had left to, to market were native plants. And that changed the direction of uh, the product mix that has brought us to where we are now today, which is uh, nearly 100% native plant production. So you're not doing as many trees anymore? 
No, uh, we're we're doing mostly trees and shrubs, but native trees and okay. shrubs. And then we also do um, perennials and forbs and uh, wildflowers, grasses, sedges. I got you. So if somebody's foolish enough to want a Bradford pear, don't call you. We we have not sold a Bradford pear in over thirty years. I'm oh. very proud to say. <laughs> when I moved into my old subdivision. You know, the whole street was lined with them, and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. But they've all broke apart and died. Yeah, they kind so. of take care of themselves, but not before they uh, spread a lot of seed and and cause a lot of regeneration. So for people who don't know where Ellsbury, Missouri is, explain kind of the location of the nursery. Well, for what we do, we're in just the perfect spot. Um, we're just 20 miles north of the confluence of the... Missouri and Mississippi rivers, uh, just north of St. Louis in um, Lincoln County, Missouri. And you have a, a showroom and people can come there. You do a lot of wholesaling and, and big orders, but people can come there and buy a tree. Or- a- absolutely. We, we, have a, we have a garden store that is um, open to the public seven day, or six days a week. And, uh, but we are primarily a wholesale grower and we ship nationwide and uh, some international sales. How is your dad? And uh, I want to preface that by saying he's genuinely one of the nicest men I've ever met. He is such a nice guy. And, and people say that about folks a lot, but with him, it's, it's true. He's just such a kind and good hearted man. I haven't seen him in a long time. I hope he's doing well. Well, he's, he's, he's doing great. He just turned uh, 87 last uh, couple weeks ago. And he's still generally the first one at the nursery every day and maybe the last to leave. Um, we, he's sharp as a tack and it's just a real blessing to be able to work with my father. And I um, believe I learn something new from him every day. <laughs> there must be something about planting trees that's good for the soul and, and keeping you alive because I know quite a few folks that have really pushed the the boundary on age that are heavily associated with that. One being Fox Hayes down at Mossy Oak. You know, he's still out t- hunting turkeys and deer in his 90s. And all he does is work on the trees and in the nursery, as far as I understand. So must be good for the soul. And I, I need to plant more trees. Well, I, I can honestly say that I don't believe my dad has actually worked a day in his life. He, what he, he is passionate uh, about our our nursery and the the tree production. Uh, he has kind of revolutionized the way wetlands are are reforested uh, today with the uh, patented RPM system that he developed, which produces a very fibrous and robust root system that um, provides for better survival earlier fruit and nut production, and accelerated growth. What is it called? RPM. Stands for Root Production Method. So somebody was telling me about that recently. We were talking about trees. I said I ordered all these uh, seedlings from the nursery. Uh, MDC, the Missouri Department of Conservation, has a program where you can buy uh, little seedlings. I've done it a few times, failed miserably a few times, but did successfully plant about a quarter acre of pen oaks, that are now some between, you know, I would say six and 16 feet tall after five or six years of being in the ground. So that, that worked. But 
I said, I'm just not that patient right now. And they said, you got to get a hold of Forrest Keeling. I said, well, that's good because I know a lady. And uh, they've got this root system that, that really makes these trees um, more successful and, and faster growing. So how does that happen? It has a lot of potential because of the root system to survive. Uh, it, it's, it's able to, there's just millions of root tips in this root system. And the plant is able to take in more nutrients, more water, more oxygen, all those things that, that plants need for growth. So when you when you start with an RPM tree, you're already starting with a much bigger tree. It's the same age as a one-year seedling, but it's generally three to six feet tall. And uh, so you avoid a lot of competition with grasses and things that that are on your property. You you can still get some deer browse, but as long as the deer doesn't damage the uh, tip of the the plant, it will survive and and, uh, perform just fine. You said deer and totally broke my concentration on trees. Whoops. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to transition into some of the things that I'd like to do on my property. One, I'm going to keep probably 10 to 15 acres of row crop. I'm thinking I can feed the deer, hopefully the turkeys and the quail as well. Uh, a little bit of food and maybe pay my taxes with, <laughs> with the rest of it. So that'd be a nice trade-off. Then I'm going to restore hopefully close to 20 acres in the prairie and then have a three-acre lake. I want buffers between the prairie. I want forested buffers between the prairie and the agriculture and then uh, about half the surrounding of the lake I want in forest too. I really think I can over time grow close to 10 acres of woods um, by putting some fingers into my 20 acres of prairie and kind of segmenting off a, a few different areas. I want a, a little apple orchard and I want to block uh, the view of my house and everything from the road. So I guess I'll start there. If you were going to put a, uh, a pine or some sort of a coniferous tree along a roadway, to essentially grow into uh, a wall, a tree wall, to keep people from looking into my property. And this is, uh, again, Howard County, so I'm not exactly sure of the soil makeup there. I know there's clay. What would you recommend planting up there and why? Well, there's really only, if we're talking native plants. I only want um, natives. I don't want anything that's not native. There's really only two evergreen coniferous uh, species in Missouri, and that's uh, shortleaf pine, Pinus echinacea, and eastern red cedar. And I would have to maybe take a look at the soil to see how the, the, uh, the pine would do in that part of the state. But that would be my my first go to the shortleaf pine. Yes, I would be. I just don't see many of them up there. Right. I had I had. Oh, you're, now you're hurting me because I had beautiful beautiful shortleaf pines on my property down in Shannon County, um, and I love those trees. Love them when you're driving down Highway 19 and you're heading down towards Eminence and you go through that stand of virgin pines. Yeah, right. Have you seen that? Yes. Oh, it's so beautiful. So an, another option may be something that's not completely evergreen. Um, you could you could use uh, bald cypress 
That um, is one of my favorite trees. Let's hold on that and go back to cedar real quick. So I know people fear the cedars because they'll spread throughout uh, a pasture or a prairie. But if you plant cedars strategically along the front, the road there, um, they'll grow together eventually and they will be a good, I mean, that would be a really good visual block, sure. if you will. And as long as you control, if you catch them early and control them, they won't spread, right? That's that's correct. How far apart would you recommend planting them? I would probably go on close to uh, maybe like a 15-foot spacing. 15? 12 to 15, yeah. And do you guys have uh, RPM cedars? Yes, we do. I'm going to have to get my order form out here and fill, <laughs> fill this out as we go. So I'll have to do the math on how many feet I have spread by 15 feet. I want to do one of those really cool uh, ranch gates with maybe like a 12 by 12 squared timber that goes way up. And I was driving to Des Moines the other day and actually pulled a U-turn on Highway 63 almost to the Iowa border. There was a beautiful one. And it was the first one I've seen in Missouri that reminded me of something that I've seen out west when I was living in Montana. But this one had... Uh, it was like double stacked on the crossbars up top. It was magnificent. So to have that in the middle and then uh, the cedars all the way out to the corners of the property, because the east side is fairly open. It's got some oaks and uh, there's a few cedars in that fence row. But the west side of the property, that fence row is 100% Osage, Osage orange. Nice. Yeah, I like that wood a lot. I'm, I'm excited because I've always dreamed of making my own self bow. So I'm going to make my own self bow out of a piece of Osage orange for my beautiful. property. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful wood. It, it, that, that also um, is the highest density and, and is, provides the most BTUs of any wood. I've heard stories that it could like melt your fireplace <laughs> if you, if you, yeah, if you burn enough of it at a time, it gets so hot right. that it can actually melt metal. It's really, really dense. Okay. So if we've got the, the cedar trees along the, the road, the next thing I want to do is the driveway. So I've got about 400 feet of driveway coming in um, and I want to line it on the sides. Maples. Uh, I have a thing for them because when I was growing up, uh, we had them all over in northern Indiana. But as I got older, I, I really came to appreciate the guys that were making maple syrup. So I would love to have uh, a row of maple trees that I could tap. Well, we actually um, market and sell um, what we call the Cornell Super Sweet sugar maples. Um, they were developed in, out of Cornell University in, in New York. And um, they have a, a, an orchard that is comprised of um, sugar maples that have a known higher sugar content. And so the seed comes from all these improved species of, of, of uh, sugar maple. And so that would be uh, something that you would maybe want to line your drive with sugar maple of course has just stunning fall color um they they are a little slow growing uh but you 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 won't regret it once you get them there you know it's funny when you think about trees or when you're a layman like me and you don't know nearly as much as you should about trees you think oak maple pine but there are so many different varieties and now scientifically 
we're creating more and more varieties. The Cornell Super Sweet Sugar Maple isn't one that I had any idea existed. Can you talk a little bit about how new trees are made? Like, I mean, I know, I understand if you breed a Labrador with a poodle, you're coming up with a new breed. But how do you breed trees together to come up with something different? Well, we, we do not do any um, intentional breeding. Trees like, especially oaks, are um, very apt to hybridize on their own uh, in nature. And they provide a lot of, uh, of hybrids. Uh, an example is our Kimberly oak, which is a cross between a swamp white oak and a bur oak. And it is just an absolutely prolific acorn bearer if you're looking for wildlife food. And is it named after you? It's it's actually named after my mother, whose maiden name was Kimberly. And and we found this tree on on uh, her her uh, family farm. That's cool. So back to the Cornell Super Sweet Sugar Maple. I'm assuming somebody out there has the wheels turning and you and I are talking about only natives. Is that still considered a native? It's considered a native cultivar. Um, And because it's seed grown, there's still some diversity in, in the, uh, in the species. Uh, When you get into a certain, we we call them native Rs, um, they're cloned. And so there, you lose that diversity, and we try to stay away from those. We do sell uh, a few clone varieties, uh, improved varieties of pawpaw, persimmon, pecans, walnuts. When it comes to oak, you said the Kimberly oak is really good for wildlife. You know, again, I, I think most people probably know a white oak or a red oak, but there's so many different species of oak. If you were me... What would you be looking to plant to attract deer and turkey uh, to your property in that oak species? Well, I think that uh, the white oak family would be my my first selection of uh, oaks. I would consider the Kimberly oak. Uh, we also we also market uh, Bucks Unlimited, which was developed at the University of Missouri, um, the Center for Agroforestry, and it's a swamp white oak that's a very prolific uh, acorn bearer. And again, it's seed grown, so there is still diversity. Other oaks, you, you know, for um, for deer, um, you might want to you might want to plant a red oak, uh, just because oaks tend to bear in alternate years, and you want to have a continuous crop every year for your wildlife but oaks don't they don't produce the same amount of acorns every year what causes the differential it's just the genetics of of the oak um there's the the mass production uh will is generally by every other year you'll get a a heavy mass and the alternating years not so much Outside of oaks, what else are deer looking for? Oh, persimmon um, is a good one. What about a good old-fashioned apple orchard? Sure. That's something I'm really interested in doing. So on a, a property, you know, my size, and really just wanting apples for personal use, eating. I'm sure I, I would can some. I'd really like to make my own cider. 
how many apple trees do you think would be a good number to shoot for? And what variety of apples do you think would be your pick? Well, a lot depends on your taste in apples. Um, I like, you know which ones I like a lot? This is a, a fun fact. I was the produce boy in a little grocery store in West Lafayette, Indiana, when I was at Purdue. It was one of the most fun jobs I ever had. I never thought it would be. But uh, yeah, I worked in the produce section at this little family grocery store. And I got to sample all the different fruits, vegetables, and I came to love Fuji apples. Fuji is a good apple. My my favorite is probably Honeycrisp. A lot of people say that. It's a great apple. And so I think I think what you want to do, uh, Brandon, is is an, an assortment. Um, there are different ripening times, of course, different flavors. You have to take into into consideration the pollination. As a rule, Golden Delicious is almost a universal pollinator. It's probably the best. Um, now, what does that mean exactly? Well, in order to get fruit set, you have to have pollination from another tree. So one tree is not going to cut it? No. <laughs> You're going to have to have several. Okay. And now is that being done by bees and butterflies moving the pollen around? And wind. So an assortment. List out your, your assortment that you'd be planting on your acreage. Well, I would probably plant. And I guess my question is because of, I don't know, do, do Fuji apples grow in oh, sure. mid-Missouri? I don't know what species will grow there, which ones would thrive there, what would be the best to go with? Um, most most apples are going to do fine in in Missouri. The The rootstock that they're grafted on is is hardy, and y- you, you need certain chilling hours, which... Missouri obviously has uh, plenty of those right now, and um, so you got to you have to research you know the different cultivars. But uh, I, you know, I would I would probably go with some some real basics. I, I would do a Golden Delicious. I would do a Honeycrisp or a Fuji or a Gala. Could you do both? Yeah, sure. And you know, depending on your taste, you might want to do a Granny Smith, which is a green one, green tart. How far apart would you plant the apple trees? Probably 20 feet. 20 feet apart, both both directions? So you could run a tractor or something? Exactly, down. yeah. So 20 feet apart. Would like 30 be a good number of apple That's trees? That's a lot of apple trees. 30 is a lot. Yeah. Huh. That's going to give you a lot of apples. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> you, can, you can open up a, a little farm stand at your gate. I'm an overachiever. <laughs> and then when you're when you're starting these trees off on a property like mine that has traditionally been agriculture and it, it does feed a lot of deer. That's one of the things I love about this place is I know every single day I'm going to see a deer out there. How would I protect these trees from the deer during their early stages of life? Probably the best system is to use some T poles and post and some, um, some wire and just in case the, the tree, especially for the first several years. Another tree uh, I'm really interested in putting on my property is the pecan or pecan. What do you say? Pecan. Pecan. Yeah, we're in Missouri. It's the pecan. Somewhere else it's the pecan. The pecan, yeah. How, there's a lot of those trees growing in that Missouri River Valley area of my part of the state. How does that tree stack up as far as something to plant? Does it grow fast? How long will it take me to get some pecans from my pies? With a grafted variety, 
um, and and the RPM system, you can start to see pecans in as early as five years. Um, you know, it, it, it takes it takes a while to, to get volume uh, because, you know, you just need the more tree you have, the more uh, pecans you're going to have. But make sure that you select a cultivar that is good as far north as possible because most pecans are more southern or for the more southern zones but we do have some really good ones that will go as far north as where your farm is so cultivar that's that's a like a species or a subspecies of a tree so a, a cultivar is an an improved an improved variety that has been selected for some reason. It could be the size of the nut. It could be the size of the kernel. It it could be the ripening time. And um, those are all basically cloned in some way. They're either grafted or budded or um, grown by a cutting or tissue culture. And that means it's an identical replica of the parent tree. Do you know uh, what type of pecan tree is so popular in that that area that I'm building in? We see a lot of Kanza and uh, Oswego uh, going into that area. Those are new, those are newer varieties. There's also a, a shepherd variety that came from the shepherd farm that is just north of um, Boonville, I think. Well, I cut you off a little bit ago on, on the bald cypress, and I'll tell you why that's one of my favorite trees. Uh, they grow in Real Foot Lake, Have you and uh, a lot of lakes and swamps and such, but Real Foot Lake is special to me. Have you ever been there? I have not. It's the very northwest corner of Tennessee, and there's a cool history. There was an earthquake in 1812, 1816, that, that era, um, that made the Mississippi River flow over its banks and it filled up this swampy basin. And today it's somewhere around a 20,000 acre swamp that is just filled with bald cypress and lily pads. Uh, I think the deepest point in the whole 20,000 acre lake is eight feet deep. So it's a very simplistic type of fishing. And it's where my grandfather on my father's side was born and raised. And all the uh, men and many of the women in the family would gather there for outings each year. And I just aspired to become old enough to join into the shenanigans. And by the time I was old enough, most of them had died off or the numbers had dwindled. But I caught the tail end of it. And I just have incredible memories of fishing with my grandfather inside of a forest. So you're in these little... Uh, lake boats, which are kind of a crossbreed between a John boat and a canoe. They've been replaced since by much cheaper to manufacture aluminum John boats. But back in the day, you would glide your lake boat through these trees. And the bald cypress root structure under the water is almost like an upside down umbrella. That's how we would always explain it. And the bluegills would get inside of those knobs close to the trunk of the tree underwater and you're only fishing in two feet, sometimes less than that. And you just drop a little bobber and a cricket next to that cypress tree. And the game is lifting them up straight out. Because if you give them a half a second, they're going to get behind something, tangle your line up, get stuck. But it's the only fishing in a forest 
I've ever done. And I've, I've just loved that tree my whole life because of that. The scary thing is, is when you're going through there, uh, the old wives tale is the snakes will fall out of the limbs and into your boat. And for about 18 years, I didn't pay any attention to that until one time I went to grab a drink out of the cooler and there was a snake right next to the cooler that must have fallen out of a tree and into our boat. And they're poisonous. They're, you know, they're cotton mouths down there and water moccasins. So uh, be careful when you're fishing in the forest. Of so that'd be the end for me, I think. No more fishing in the forest for you. <laughs> but I had a, uh, I had a very nice cross section of a large bald cypress turned into a table and the legs were made from cypress and it unfortunately was in the cabin that I had that oh I'm sorry is no longer there so I need to get a new bald cypress slab table because it was it was gorgeous I just loved that tree but let me ask you um they shed every year yes okay because there's one on the property that I'm living on right now a beautiful rental place that I'm in and uh it started shedding really early and I was worried about the health of that tree, but it, it looks like it's okay. It just, it's dropping all its foliage for the year. It, it should be okay. Um, we, we did go through a pretty good drought this summer. And so it's not unusual for trees to drop. Um, there, we, we call those needles on, on a cypress. Um, it's not unusual for them to drop early. So I, I know that there are that they're easily sustained in, in wet vegetative areas because I've again, fished in them where they live in water. Do they have to be in like a wet vegetative area? They do not. Here's the, here's the interesting thing about wetland plants. Um, Wetland plants do great in water because they can survive on small amounts of, of oxygen. And, um, you can take a wetland plant and plant it in an upland situation, and you'll see a lot of wetland species being used for street trees because a street tree is also very stressed for oxygen, and they do uh, quite well. So um, we, we happen to have a cypress orchard on the, the nursery property that we use for um, e- events and uh picnics and field days and it's probably 60 to 65 years old um there's probably 25 trees and we have probably how many loads of gravel we've put around those trees over the 65 years that it's been there um and they're they're still thriving so um it's it's a tough tree and it, it will survive in a lot of different conditions. Are they pretty slow growing? They're they're pretty fast growing actually. Fast growing. Well, that's good. What else is a fast grow? What are some other fast growing trees? With the RPM system, we look at at oaks as growing as fast as maples now. There are some that are slower than others, but uh we're we're growing um we're growing most oaks at the same rate that you would uh, see a, um, a maple grow. What about sycamores? Fast growing. and Beautiful tree. Yeah, the state tree of Indiana. I'm a, a native Hoosier, so I feel like I should have a couple of the Indiana trees on my property. Where would you plant the sycamore? Well, they need a lot of space, a big tree. So I would, uh, you know, maybe, maybe somewhere 
uh, not far from your pond, though. You know, I always have uh, mixed emotions for the large trees that you see standing alone in a field. There's a name for those trees. I, I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about? Well, it, it, it depends. It could be uh, a wolf. I've heard them called wolf trees. It just could be a, a remnant. It could be a site may have been a savanna at one point. You ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? I have. Where, you know, he leaves the money for red under that tree, but it's the only tree that's out there in that field. So when I see those trees, which you see common in agriculture lands, it's like when they were clearing all the other trees, how did that one tree get picked to be the one left? And I think how lucky is that tree, but also how sad it must be to be the only one left. Well, the the, the wisdom of Wayne, as you referred to earlier, uh, told me why those trees were there. And it makes perfect sense. It was shade for the livestock and shade for the horses that were pulling the plows. Wow. They left one they tree. They left a tree for shade. And they must have a lot of faith in that one tree. I'd have probably left two, <laughs> just in case there was a lightning strike or, or something else happened. But And it also made a nice place to lay out a blanket and have a picnic maybe at lunch and have some shade to enjoy. You mentioned field days. So you bring people out to the nursery and educate them about trees and everything else you have going on? We, we do. We have, um, for our professional um, and commercial uh, customers, we have it uh, every other year. And this past September, uh, our theme for our field day was Roots to Rivers, and it was focused on wetlands. We had uh, over 500 guests and uh, lots of education and tours and speakers, and it's, it's always a great event, and we have um, the best chef around to prepare the, the meal. Yeah, give me the name. I'm- oh, my gosh. Kevin at, uh, from Farmhouse Restaurant in St. Louis, just fabulous cook, and he, he does the meal for us, and it's worth coming just for that. Yeah, would you? My stomach's over here growling <laughs> right now. What, what did What did you guys have at the last one? We roasted four hogs. Wow, whole hogs. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. When I was younger, we had a, a guy in my uncle's network of friends that had a whole hog roaster, and we would uh, shoot like a, a a young deer and take that deer and cook it in that same way. So we would take that young deer whole and stuff it full of carrots and potatoes and mushrooms and onions and then wrap it tight in chicken wire and put it on a spit and slow roast that deer and then have a big gathering in my uncle's shop that went on for years and it was kind of a celebration of the end of deer season um, we would always do it during muzzleloader season and man good memories but even better food well, Kevin always surprises us with something fun, and we actually had some uh, Missouri caviar as an appetizer. Paddlefish roe? Uh, sturgeon. Sturgeon. And uh, for dessert, we had pawpaw ice cream, so um, always something fun. So Shags and I have threatened for years to get the agents on from MDC that worked on, uh, I think it was called Project Roadhouse, 
down in the Warsaw area where the Russian mob was uh, poaching paddlefish and taking the row and pawning it off as beluga or, or sturgeon caviar. And it was like a multi-million dollar operation, like organized crime operation of poaching paddlefish. Interesting. Yeah. So if the tree thing doesn't work out for you, <laughs> we could have a side hustle getting into the Russian mob and, and selling paddlefish eggs. Scary. <laughs> yeah. You know, another thing that I'm interested in doing is transplanting trees. And I know that it, my, my contractor slash friend is like, man, I'll just mow them all down with a bulldozer. And I, I guess I'm just getting super soft as I get old because I look at those trees and I don't want them just mowed down. Now, they got to go. They can't stay where they are. And I can't save them all. But I went and bought like a special shovel, really nice, like $60 shovel that's got some serration on the side of the blades and a square tip. And what is the secret to transplanting trees from one part of my property to another part of my property and, and give them the best chance of life? Brandon, there's a, a lot of um, difference in the survivability depending on the species of transplanting trees. Obviously, when you you want to transplant them when they're dormant. So now would be a good time to do it? Now would be a good time to do it. The bigger the tree, the more difficult it's going to be to transplant. If, if it's a, an oak or uh, a nut tree or some species that has a, a prominent tap root makes them harder to transplant. So I, I don't what, what, what kind of tree are you looking to move? There's a bunch of different kinds that are around the backside. There's two small ponds on this place now that I'm going to join into about a three acre lake. So I've got to take out a, a middle levee and there's a few trees on that middle levee that are I think there's a few small oaks, and when I say small, maybe a, a diameter of under four inches, you know, about the barrel of a baseball bat are the ones that I've got my eye on and, and trying to move. Uh, I don't I don't know what else is out there. I, and there's a lot of trees that have to go, and I feel bad for them, too, because I got to kill all these locust trees. I just don't want them on the property, and they've done a good job of creating some habitat but they got to go. And it's like, man, I'm, I'm sorry. You were just born the wrong kind of tree. <laughs> I got to well, get rid of you. Brandon, it sounds like to me, if they're four inches in caliper, you need to find a, a friend with a um, mechanical tree spade. Those okay. are, are going to take some. Too big to shovel out. Yeah, How big would it be uh, like a reasonable tree to transplant? May, maybe two inches. Two inches in diameter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll have to go out there, and I'm going to do it on at least a couple, just so I can feel good about trying. They didn't all die. What about the locust tree? Any reason to keep any of them around, or should they all just become firewood? I, I would think in your situation that um, you, you probably want to take them out, but there's unless you're going to um, run some cattle on your property, there's a, there's a lot of interest right now in uh, locust trees for cattle. Uh, food. Why is that? The, just the amount of um, nutrients in the pod and um, tree, raising cattle with trees raises healthier cows. It, it's called silvopasture. And um, there's a lot of interest in locusts right hmm. now. I'm interested in cattle. My friend Steve Jones got into cattle just north of me a little ways and he's into some special breed. But 
I don't think it'll happen on, on the property that I'm living on right now, but I have threatened for a long time to get two bison and name them Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> and I, I just want to ride a Buffalo. <laughs> I just, I want, I want a pet Buffalo that I can get on and ride around my property. Well, that, that I would like to see that. <laughs> I think a lot of people would. So <laughs> we're going to go over to Butler's and ride a Buffalo around the prairie <laughs> today. So I'm put a teepee up in my prairie and get Bonnie and Clyde out there and have my own little prairie paradise. Well, Kim, we're wrapping up. We're at the 2023 Missouri Wetlands Summit. Um, about 350 people registered. We're at Lake of the Ozarks, Lodge of the Four Seasons. Got to give a huge shout out to my man Donovan and the staff here at the lodge. I asked for a quiet corner to be able to record some podcast in. And they put me in this beautiful room, no charge, a uh, big table, and the hospitality has just been phenomenal. I, I just can't say enough. And, and Donovan, uh, thanks if you're listening. I, I really appreciate it. And, and the rest of the staff here at the Lodge of Four Seasons, my room is incredible. I don't know how I got so lucky. I just asked for a regular room. I'm in some condo that has like a, a nice king size bed, a giant bathroom with like a jetted tub, big shower. And then there's like a whole living room. I mean, I could live in this place. It's nicer than most studio apartments, couch, chairs, TV, uh, little kitchenette area. So really happy to be down here. Uh, can't wait to record a few more podcasts. There's so many people that are speaking here. Kelly Werner. David Crane, Doug Helmers, George Seek, Brad Penley. One that I've been wanting to get for a long time is Ken Babcock. He's a living legend of conservation here in Missouri, so I'm hoping to speak to him. Uh, my friend Mickey Heitmeyer's here, Andrew Radke. So it's the who's who of uh, Missouri outdoors in the wetlands waterfall world for sure. Sarah Parker Pauley from MDC, Scott Edwards, a state conservationist. Uh, Dale Humberg, man, so I'm, I'm geeking out over all the folks that are here, and it, it takes sponsors to make a conference like this happen, and Forest Keeling Nursery is a sponsor of this event, so first of all, thank you very much for doing that, and uh, you guys always step up. You guys are always sponsoring conservation, and it, it just it means a lot. What's the what's the driving force in in your father's and, and your uh, your motivation to take part in these events and and continuously uh, support what's going on in the conservation world. I, I think that our our company, um, our nursery, and our seed business, our our mission statement is actually restoring Earth's ecosystems one tree at a time, and it's more of a calling than a profession. And we feel we feel very uh, motivated to support the organizations that are putting uh, trees and, and habitat and wetlands on the on the ground. So it's our pleasure to to sponsor these types of of great events. Well, thank you very much. And and if you're not a CFM member, you should be. Not only because you're supporting conservation, but because throughout the year, there's a number of auctions that you can get into and, and buy 
great items and one that comes up regularly that I've yet to get my hands on is the forest keeling donation of 50 trees. You guys do that and it goes for pretty good dollars and it's just such a neat it's just such a neat donation because that's something that's going to last beyond your left. If you plant all 50 of those trees, one of them at least is going to be there when you're gone. And I uh, I use this old proverb I, in my new show, Prairie Prophets, in the opening episode with Rudy Raceline, I, it's, um, a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they shall never know. And it sounds like your dad's doing that now every day at 87 years old. He's growing trees and those trees are going to be planted all over. And it's just such a humbling feeling to know that in the grand scheme of things, our time here is short, but what we do can last long beyond our years. And that's what you guys do every day. It's, it's, it's a great gig. It is. It really yeah. is. Well, I can't let you get out of here uh, and go get some lunch without answering the mystery bait bucket question. So what you see here is an actual bait bucket that Shags and I got at an antique mall. And we get questions sent in. I'll need you to uh, grab a question and read it, and then we'll both answer it. Okay, Kim, just go ahead and reach in there. Grab a question, read it for us. And who is it from? What is the best advice you've ever been given? And it's from Jenny Jones. Jenny Jones. The best advice that, I mean, that's, you got to go through a lot of advice to come up with the best you've ever been given, but it's whatever jumps out at you first. It's easy for me because um, it came from dad and I was in my early twenties and kind of unsure of which direction to go and what I wanted to do. And, and I was kind of, I was kind of paralyzed because I couldn't make decisions And uh, I was talking to dad about it one day and he said, Kim, it's so easy. If you make a decision and it's wrong, make another decision. And there you go. That's incredible. I guess mine is from that similar era. And now this is, again, this is the best advice I've ever been given. It might not be the best advice for everybody out there, but I've been having a lot of conversations lately about college, going to college because my oldest daughter is about to go to school. And it's really a shame, like how expensive college has become to go to a a major university and have the full immersion into the college experience, because I truly believe that's where the most value comes from. I wanted to be the fourth generation owner of a floor covering company. My great grandpa started, my grandpa owned it, my dad and my uncle owned it. I wanted to do that. My cousins worked there and my dad eventually said, you can't work here without a college degree. And it's not that he wanted me to go out and get better at algebra. He wanted me to see what opportunities were out there in the world. And I was so mad at him at the time. But when I graduated the third time from college, when I got my MBA at Mizzou, I was I was actually president of the class. So I got to give a speech and my parents were there and I got to thank them publicly and profusely for uh, really forcing me. Like, I mean, it was almost physically forcing me. My dad and I fought about it and, and they made me go to school. And, and that was the best thing they could have ever done for me because it opened up doors that I didn't even know existed. 
And it's put me on this path that has been just an absolute dream of a career. Uh, I think I could have found happiness owning the floor covering company, but it wouldn't have fulfilled um, my passion the way that I've been able to. So going away to school and having that time of transition, I don't think the value is there today in simply getting a diploma. It's so common that it doesn't necessarily set you apart just just to have a diploma where you didn't get that immersion into learning how to do life on your own. And that's what I'm trying to impress upon my daughter as she gets ready to go to school in the fall. It's like you're out of the house, but you have a safety net. Like I'm right around the corner, but I'm not going to come over and do your laundry and I'm not going to come over and cook you food. Like you're on your own at this point to make sure that you're fed that your clothes are clean, that you're, you know, sustaining a, a schedule that, that gets you through school in a, in a positive way. So it, I think those are the lessons uh, that are critically important. So the best advice I ever got was to go to school. And again, that's not, that's not to say that's the best advice for everybody, but that, that's what was the best for me. That's, well, that's wonderful. I had a similar experience and, and, um, so glad I, I went and I, I still have that, um, dream that it's finals and I haven't been to class all semester. <laughs> you start sweating in the middle <laughs> of the night. Yeah. I still have that. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sitting down with me today. I, I learned a lot. This was wonderful. It could have been a phone call where I just picked your brain, but I've got a whole list of, uh, of trees to order from the forest Keeling catalog. I got to get my Kimberly Oaks, my Cedars, my Cornell Super Sweet Sugar Maples, some persimmons, an assortment of apples. I'm going to have a big orchard with 30 trees, I believe. Uh, Fuji Honeycrisp, Golden Delicious, and Granny Smith. I'm going to get some pecans. I really like the Oswego name because up in Gaylord, Michigan, which is one of my favorite places, there's the Oswego Club. And it's a, it's a pretty cool location. So to have some Oswego pecans would be neat. And I can't wait to plant some bald cypress. I know exactly where they're going to go. And uh, it'll be fun to look at those every day. That's wonderful, Brandon. We look forward to working with you on your project. Thank you. I'm excited about trees too. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I, I, got, I, I got a half acre uh, here in Columbia and then a quarter acre lot down on the Polish embassy. And like, well, I wonder how many trees I can cram in into those properties. Want to go halves on an apple orchard or an apple cider business? <laughs> put 30 in your yard, I'll put 30 in my yard. <laughs> they, would, they would choke each other out. They'd be planted so close to one another. But you could do one of those permaplots. No, wanting to space these trees probably 20 feet apart in your backyard, you could, you could easily throw down, you know, 50 trees. Then you don't have to mow grass. That's anymore. what I'm saying. I wouldn't ever have to mow grass. I would rather have trees out there in the yard than Heck yeah. anything else. Anything but lawn yeah anything that's my bane of my existence lawn i agree so maybe i maybe i will have to go halves with you on this new cider <laughs> we'll be in a, cider business we could sell it to log boat to waves there you go our apples for their cider i like that idea so what do you think what mystery bait bucket question what is the best advice you've ever gotten the best advice i've ever gotten man well the first one that that pops in my head was when I became the program director, my mentor at the time told me just because you're the boss doesn't mean you do all the work you delegate and you're here to solve problems. You're a problem solver. And I always thought that was some really good advice when you get into management situations where 
you shouldn't feel like you have to do everything. You delegate the work and then you're there for when all hell breaks loose. Man, Shag's dropping management advice. I, I was going to think it was like, don't eat the brown acid. <laughs> <laughs> but we got, I never, Ma- we got Malcolm Gladwell over here. Somebody give me Shag's back. I never got that advice. I was always the one eating the brown ass, yeah, brown like, acid. Just eat it, man. <laughs> Just eat it. <laughs> it's all good for you. It's fine. Gear review coming up next. Time for the Driftwood Outdoors Gear Review. End of the podcast, beginning of the gear review. Brandon, what are you reviewing for us today? Sticking on the Caldwell theme from our good friend Lunchbox over there is the Max Grip Sling. So I've got the Max Grip Sling and the Max Grip Slim Sling. So these are the kind of rubberized, uh, waterproof, quick detach metal sling swivel uh indestructible won't slip off your shoulder uh on my classic deer rifle i really like the old leather etched deer sling but when i'm going to be out like huffing it so on my double barreled 20 gauge that i use for quail hunting i've got one of these slings on some ars i've got these slings uh whenever i feel like movement and and putting a lot of boot leather down or maybe if I ever find myself in the uh, zombie apocalypse, these Caldwell Max Grip slings are just, you got to have them. They're indestructible. I mean, how many good things can you say about a sling? It's a strap that goes over your shoulder. But these ones are great because they're waterproof, they're tearproof, they don't slip, they're highly affordable, and they're from our good friends at Caldwell. Speaking of the zombie apocalypse, are you watching The Last of Us at all? And dude... Don't, I, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it because you know how much I love mushrooms. Yeah. And now you just, you can't look at a mushroom the same way. <laughs> it's I'm going back and playing the video game again, just so I can follow it, follow along. It's, it's amazing. Speaking of mushrooms, mushroom coffee. Heard of it. Dude, it's fantastic. Really? Oh yeah. I don't know if, how it's pronounced, but it's spelled R-Y-Z-E. Is it just R-Y-Z-E, you think? Like the RZA from the Wu-Tang. Kind of, yeah. But it's Riz, yeah, RZA Mushroom Coffee. And we've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times, uh, just about my stroke and me struggling to, to sleep at night. But since we bought this and I drink it in the morning, it doesn't have caffeine. It's just all mushroom that gives you the, the energy boost, the clarity, the focus. And dude, I sleep like a baby now when I go to bed. It's, it's been incredible magic. So you're not afraid of the fungi taking over your brain? Your beard kind of looks like the tentacles that come it out does of those people's yes. mouths on that show. A little bit. But it's got everything from turkey tail, which helps protect your gut, to the lion's mane, helps for better focus, the shiitake to support your immunity. I mean, it, it is amazing. I can't say enough good <laughs> things about it, and you should try it. Um, it's R-Y-Z-E superfoods.com. We'll see you down the trail. Early mornings, long nights, cold heat, wind, and so many other factors can stand between a sportsman and the trophy they're pursuing. 
That's why it's so gratifying when it all comes together. To preserve that special memory, sportsmen often turn to a taxidermist. At Driftwood Outdoors, we turn to Scenic Rivers Taxidermy in Salem, Missouri. Larry and Heath have mounted six bucks for us in the last four years, and every one of them looks awesome. These guys are true artists and experts at deer and elk, but can handle all your taxidermy needs from fish to birds to bears. For a taxidermy experience you can trust, turn to Scenic Rivers Taxidermy. Visit them online at scenicriverstaxidermy.com or find them on Facebook, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy. 